I'll uh, actually do me a favor and wait for a second, please. Sorry. Sorry. <clears throat> In a little while, I'm going to uh, do my best to preach out of the book of Acts chapter 1. And I want us to do a couple things before I do that. <clears throat> I just can't help myself. and Talk about God. I was thinking this morning you sung a song talking about talking about God and the name of God. Tonight we're talking about God. And I was sitting back there thinking, <clears throat> and I don't apologize for getting excited. I'm just, I'm way over that. <laughs> I mean, at my age, I'm just over that. I don't, I care what people think, but not when I'm praising God. I don't care what anybody thinks. He's so worthy of our praise. And I was sitting back there thinking about how great he is. And I couldn't help but to think about when God introduced himself to Moses. He was an unknown God to Moses. And he introduced himself to him in the burning bush. And Moses began to give all those excuses. But I love, he said, well, God, who do I tell him that sent me? And he said, tell them, I am that I am has sent you. You know what that means? That means the God who always was. He's the God of all creation. We get the opportunity to come in and worship and magnify and praise and bless His holy name. You know, He didn't choose. I didn't choose Him. The Bible says He chose me. He chose us. I didn't choose Him. I should be thankful that He chose me and called me out and kept me and, and caused my life to take a new direction. And when we magnify and praise Him, so oftentimes we just, let's be honest, we go through the motions of praise. We come into church and we just go through the motions and we, we lift our hands and we sing, but we really don't think about the one we're thinking about. We, we really don't uh, uh, praise the one that we're, or consider the one that we're trying to praise. We don't give Him the thought that we should give Him, but when we really think of Almighty God and all the things and all the attributes He has. You know, when you go in the book of Revelations and they describe Jesus Christ, the, one of the elders is so upset because the Bible says that he could not find one that loose the seals on the book and he was upset about it. And then he says, all of a sudden we've just found one that's worthy to loose the seals. The Lamb of God, the one that was slain for the foundation of the world. He is our Savior. He's a, a friend to us. And so I want to sing that one more time before I get ready to preach. And right after that, I'm going to ask you to do something else. But just sing that one more time and let's really consider what we're singing about, who we're talking to. If you would stand, because I'm going to have you to pray with me right after we sing. Will shout your praise. Our hearts will cry, these bones will sing.
circle where you are. Let's have prayer together. Thank you all so much. My little girl asked me, she said, are you going to pray, Daddy? And I said, well, of course. And she said, well, would you pray for me? She's had a call for a week, so I'm going to go down here and join my little girl. But I want you to, I want you to consider a scripture for me as you pray. First of all, two scriptures. Mark 11, 17. Jesus said that my house shall be called a house of prayer. You know, sometimes if we're not really careful, we, we get involved in everything else but prayer. <laughs> it's easy for us to, you know, want to do those things, but we need to make this a house of prayer. And then I want you to think for a moment about this scripture. I love this scripture. And it's in Philippians 4 and 6. And the Bible says that we're to be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. In other words, he says, in another translation, he says that you're not to worry about anything when you come before the Lord. Why is that? Because he says a prayer of a righteous man availeth much. He hears your prayer. Why else is that? Because we don't have to worry about our needs when we go before him. Because Philippians 4 19 says, My God shall supply all my need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. When you go to him, you don't have to be concerned. Is he going to hear my prayer? Is he going to meet my need? He's going to hear your prayer. He's going to meet your need because you're one of his children. And then one other thing that I love in there, he says, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. You know what's proper when we come to Him and we bring Him our laundry list of all that we need and all that we want Him to do? Right in the middle of that prayer, we ought to offer up thanksgiving and praise to Him. That's what, that's what Paul said to the Philippians right here. Right in the middle of it. It's proper to praise Him in the middle of our prayers. It's proper to give Him glory and put Him in His proper place when we're praying. So if you would, just spend a few moments in praying with me.
bless you. Thank you so much. If you have your Bibles, you can open up, if you would, to Acts chapter 1. <laughs> the uh, first line I had on there was, I don't plan to preach too long, but, you know, uh, I guess since I'm not officially a preacher, I might be able to say that and actually hold to it, but anyway... Uh, <laughs> But I do want God to have his way. I, I want him to have his way. Any t- you know, when you come to church, part of coming to church is, is we should have a desire to encounter God. And that's why, you know, any time that I ever have an opportunity to preach, uh, I want to encounter God. It's a serious thing to me. It's a serious thing to stand in the pulpit. It's a serious thing. These are eternal moments. And so, um, and also, I, I appreciate Pastor Gore asking me. It means so much to me that he would do that. Um, And the fact that I would have an opportunity to preach in the church I love. I love our church. I love our church. I'm so thankful for our church. I love being a part of the community in which God's called us to. You know, I was thinking about Pulaski and and, uh, outsiders come in and work with me all the time from different places. And they come in and they don't see much here. But when I look at Pulaski, I I guess because I've been here for 42 years, I, I see something different. I know that there's troubles, there's difficulties, there's addictions, there's all kinds of things that we could name just like in many other communities. But what I see in Pulaski is I see that if you go back, we have a spiritual heritage here. I believe with all of my heart that we live in a place that we have the potential to truly have a revival or a spiritual awakening. I really feel that way with all my heart. Many, many of you and many of us have prayed to that end. We have prayed that prayer. God, send revival, send a spiritual awakening. I want that to take place. I want that to take place in a desperate way. And also, just quickly, I just want to mention, uh, I guess you can call it a plug or whatever, but I do want to mention our young adult ministry. (laughs) Uh, I don't think I've ever been as nervous about anything as I was the first night we had something. Uh, I get nervous every time I preach, wherever it is. Uh, But I was so nervous. And I even told them, I said, I'm just so nervous. But we had, we had 10 young adults Wednesday night. We've had a great start so far. We're going we're gonna to have discipleship. We're going to be doing outside evangelism. We've already went and saw some people. It's going to be a very interactive Bible study where we're, we're talking amongst one another. And as we're, as we're studying the stuff together, we've actually had moments so far where we've been able just to stop and talk about needs in people's lives. We're getting ready to start a Bible study this week, specific study. And I'm so excited about it. I, I had somebody tell me today, she just encouraged me so much. She was telling me that her daughter is so excited to be coming to church. She told me that she is um, she has already invited a friend from New River to come to our, our Wednesday night Bible study time. She told me that she went to see someone in her family that she had a broken relationship with on Wednesday night after we got finished because God had convicted her to do it. And I made the statement, I said, I'm so excited about what God's going to do. And she said, she said, I'm excited for what God's already doing in my daughter. It was so encouraging to me. And so I want to tell you, if, you got, if you're 18 to 35 and you're not a part, I want to invite you to be a part. I believe God's going to do something awesome, not just something, not just filling up time. He's going to do something great. And if you have somebody in your family that you want to give me a name of that person, I'll call them. We're going to go visit I've already went and visited one young man. We're going to go see people. We're going to let them know that we love them. We're going to let them know that we're concerned about them. And so if you have... And so if you have somebody, just, just give me their name, and I'll go see them. 
We're going to go see them. We're going to start splitting up into groups and going to see folks about once a month. So I'm excited about that. So if you have your Bibles, Acts 1 and 8, <clears throat> we're going to be talking to you out of uh, primarily the book of Acts tonight. <clears throat> the Bible says in Acts chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, But ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be my witnesses, or ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And we had, when he had spoken these things while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. Now, I want to talk to you tonight from the book of Acts on this very simple title, The Acts of the Holy Ghost. When you look at the book of Acts, that's what it is. It's the Holy Ghost in action. When you look at the early church, it was the Holy Ghost that caused the church to be explosive and impactful. The Holy Ghost made the church and its people effective in ministering the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we look at this passage of Scripture in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it's very important for us to note and understand that this, this was the last words that Jesus spoke to his people before he ascended into heaven. So it was a very important thing. It should draw our attention. It should cause us to have some focus. So let's look and see what exactly Jesus said in his last words to his people. He starts out and he says, But ye shall receive power. And what did he mean by that? It's the power of the Holy Ghost given from on high. Not given by men, not derived by men, but given from God on high. It's strength from him with purpose to preach the gospel and to be a witness for him. With the power to work miracles to confirm the word of God. This power would give them courage against all opposition. Even in the midst of difficulty, the gospel would spread through the whole world. And though their lives would be given to labor and to service and to afflictions and even to trials, they would have the power and the strength to overcome. And so it is with the church today. And then the Bible says that after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, you know, if you flip over to Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, you see the, I hate to even use the word completion because it was the beginning of that completion. It was the first time the Holy Ghost was outpoured. We see that in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. But we see that after this 120 remained steadfast in the upper room for those 10 days, the Holy Ghost was poured out upon each one of them. And the Bible says, cloven tongues like as a fire is sat upon each of them. Not just some of them, but each of them. They were filled with knowledge, zeal, strength, and courage necessary for the work that would take place. And then as we continue on, he says, and ye shall be my witnesses. The Holy Ghost would help them as he does us today to witness about the person of Christ, the deity of Christ, the sonship, his incarnation, his ministry, his sufferings and death, his resurrection from the dead, and his ascension to heaven. Their focus would change from a temporary kingdom to one eternal. And then finally, he said, you'll be witnesses in your hometown. You're going to go to Samaria, and you're going to go all over the world and witness for me. So here's the four things that I want to talk to you about tonight. I want to talk about the fact that that the Holy Ghost was promised, the promise of the Holy Ghost. And then secondly, I want to talk to you about that the early church put a great importance on the Holy Ghost. And then thirdly, I want to talk about the purpose of the Holy Ghost. And then the final thing is I want us to evaluate our need for the Holy Ghost today. When you look at the promise of the Holy Ghost, you see that in these words of Christ in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Now, if we flip over... And let's look at Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, reading. The Bible says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven, as of a rush of mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. 
And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it set upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, if you would continue on with the story after this, this, I guess it could be argued because there's been many great outpourings from, from that first time in Acts chapter 2 all the way through today's age. Um, you could look at many of the great revivals that's taken place. If you've ever been a studier of revival, and I enjoy studying those things from time to time, to me one of the greatest that's mentioned or that I know of in history is the Welch Revival of 1904 when, when there was 27 young people and, and, a, and a young man named Evan Roberts that, that uh, began to hold revival services. And then it ended up spreading throughout all of Wales. And, and, and uh, history tells us that about one million people came to the saving knowledge of Christ because of that. But... This was a significant moment in time, the first time the Holy Ghost was outpoured. And if you follow that story on, there's several things I want us to notice. It's very key. And it's almost convicting when I evaluate myself, our churches, our Pentecostal churches, what's going on today. When I see the Holy Ghost outpoured here, you see that as they waited and tarried on the Lord and they prayed until they were united, they did some business there because they elected a, a twelfth to take the place of Judas Iscariot, the Bible says, Matthias. And so, but they waited and they tarried until the Holy Ghost was outpoured upon them. But then they do something interesting. They do something really different than what we do. They didn't stay in the upper room. They took it outside. And I guess I have no way to prove it, but I don't, I don't even believe that they just made a conscious... I think the Holy Ghost literally calls them to go outside. You know, there was many people there from all different countries and all different languages there that day. There was many people there, and God wanted them to be a witness. He, he had a plan for what was going to take place. And so the first kind of point of interest there is the Holy Ghost blew them out into the streets. And then you have this, this next thing that happens. They begin to be made fun of. They begin to be poked fun of. You know... Our churches used to be poked fun of a lot of times, you know, holy rollers and, and things such as that nature. And uh, I heard somebody say, matter of fact, in the last couple of days in some, some study things that I've been doing, he said, you know, there was a time when, when Pentecost wasn't popular. You think about that. T today, all over the world, people, uh, it's a popular thing to say I'm Pentecostal. But I wonder how many people really, first of all, knows the price it was paid. Second of all, do they really understand what they're even saying? I hope we leave here tonight with an understanding. But I hope we leave here tonight more with just an understanding, but with an experience. You see, the understanding will wear off, but when you experience the Holy Ghost, it'll never leave you. It'll never wear off. And so, so they go out into the street, and they, they begin to be made fun of, and they begin to say, well, these people are drunk. And Peter stands up and says, we're not drunk as you suppose. It's the third hour of the day. It's 9 o'clock in the morning. If you really study that out, you'd find out that that means the wine shops weren't even open yet. He says, we're not drunk as you suppose. But then he, then he quotes a scripture that was, that was given 800 years prior to this time. Joel chapter 2, verses uh, 28 through 32. This is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And so you notice, if you would follow this entire message, and this was Peter's first message, you know, it'd be nice to preach like somebody like that just one time. <laughs> it probably won't ever happen for me. But his first message, 50% of the message, if you would study it out, was, was the Bible. It was quotations from the Bible. The, obviously the Old Testament. And so if you look at that and you think it was a word-centered, word-saturated message that he gave to the people. But he gives this word-centered message. And that's, that's one thing I love. I, I enjoy so much and wish I could do it. 
But uh, I love when Pastor Gore begins to quote the scripture. Dickie and I had that conversation. It's powerful because the word is powerful. It's awesome. It's powerful. And he preached a word-centered message. You know, I love the word of God. I love the word of God because it's the only thing that, that we have to go in defense of the evil that's around us. And so he quotes from this. And here's what he says, uh, just a snippet in Acts chapter 2, verses 16 through 21. Through 21. Again, this is the first promise that we see, the promise of the Holy Ghost. He says, But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, that I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and upon my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above, signs of the earth beneath, blood, fire, and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood, before that great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Do you see what Peter did in this message right here? He tied the experience to the Word of God. He tied the experience to the Word of God. You see, I think that's the problem today in many Pentecostal lives, Pentecostal churches, and many uh, people's lives. They don't understand that Pentecost is tied to the Word of God. It's real. It can be proven. And I just want to say this, that when we, then we look at ourselves, and I'll, I'll just say it like I wrote it down, fellow Pentecostals, you, have, you can have confidence that your Pentecostal heritage is biblical, and though attacked, we must hold on to it. It's very important. We must hold on to it. So not only was the outpouring promised by Joel in the Old Testament, but was also promised by John the Baptist. Matthew 3.11, Mark 1.7 and 8, Luke 3.16, and John 1.33 all say the same thing. John the Baptist said these words. He said, I indeed baptize you, or baptize you with water unto repentance. But he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. So what's he saying there? I indeed baptize unto repentance. I can lead you to Jesus Christ. You can be saved through my ministry, but there's coming one after me that's going to give you the Holy Ghost. And then finally, the Holy Ghost was promised by Jesus himself. There's multitudes of scriptures, but I just chose these. Luke 11 and 13. If ye then being evil know how to give good gifts to, unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? I'm probably jumping ahead, but I think so oftentimes, and I'm not sure why God put this on my heart except for it seems like this is a message I realized that probably wouldn't even have needed to be preached to the older generation or to the generation from yesteryear or 40 years ago in the church of God. But it seems to me that we've come to a place Though the New Testament is chopped full and Acts is nothing more than the showing of the Holy Ghost in action. And yet, I don't hear it talked about. Our young people don't even realize to seek for it. They don't even ask for the gift any longer. It's true. And it burdens me. It bothers me. I want my children to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. I want your children. I want our children's children. And it was prophesied in Joel. It's not just for you. 
And it's not just us to hoard it up. It's our responsibility to pass it on to the next generation. It's a promise of the Scripture to pass it on. But when they don't know about it, when they don't understand it, when it's not been taught to them and told to them and preached to them and told them in their homes and, and, and not only talked about but then experienced and showed. You know, our children ought to see us be able to be filled with the Spirit of God. They ought to see us pray in the Holy Ghost. They ought to see God move upon us in our homes, in our automobiles, in our, in our services, in the altars. There's a problem when we get to a place where our children... Don't, ex- don't see mom and dad uh, have the Holy Spirit ministering in their life. If our children never saw us pray in the Spirit, how would they, why would they even want to seek for it? Why would they know it's a, a, a potential or something that they can have? It burdens me. It bothers me. Because the Bible that I read tells me that it's available. You know, I received the Holy Ghost on a youth trip. I got saved, seven-year-old boy here in this church... In a revival, that was uh, 1980. Probably some of you got saved back in that time period. And I'll never forget it. We had Bruce Deal was our youth pastor, and, and Bruce was unique. He's the same way today. Uh, he's got a strong personality, and, and uh, I still to this day appreciate he got me involved in almost everything I do. Taught my first class when Bruce was here. You, the youth used to, some of you might remember it, he used to have the youth do the whole service, and he'd preach the message. They'd teach every Sunday school class. They'd do the singing. And uh, my first uh, Sunday school lesson lasted seven minutes. I said everything I knew in seven minutes and sit down, and everybody was gracious, and I know it was awful, but they told me how good I did. But anyway, I know better, but some of y'all probably will lie to me. I forgive you. But anyway... <laughs> But uh, he, he had me sing my first song when I was a teenager. And, and Bruce was just one of these kinds of people that, you know, he wouldn't take no for an answer. You know, he, he, I remember when he signed me up and said, oh, you're going to sing such and such a date. And I said, well, I'm not singing. He said, yeah, you are. You're signed up. It's done. You, you, you know, you need to prepare. And so that's the way Bruce is. And that's probably why God has him where he has him because God doesn't, he knows and doesn't make mistakes. And... Uh, but anyway, I'll never forget, he combined with two other youth groups. And we had about our youth group and two others, and we went to Ohio. I don't know if, if there's anybody here that was even on that trip but me. Does anybody remember that but me? I guess not. It means you're getting old. But anyway, but we went up there, and I'll never forget this. <clears throat> you know, we'd play all day. We'd play softball and do all this stuff, and kids run, sweat, and stink. Well, at night, they'd have, the, they'd have the services in this big barn. And the different youth ministers would take turns preaching each night. And Bruce was preaching this particular night. And uh, uh, I don't remember what he was preaching on, to be honest. I can't, can't remember it at all. But I do remember the events that took place. And halfway through his message, he put his mic down. He called for one of the other youth ministers. And he whispered something in his ear. And, you know, that youth minister walked out. And he kept on preaching. And a little while later... Uh, this guy brought a, a big old wash tub in there with water in it. And Bruce, I think, finished his message. I truly don't remember that part. But he said God spoke to him about servanthood. And he said, I want to show you what a servant looks like. And so he brought that pot of water over. And he set it right down at my feet. And I felt something I'd never felt. Now, I didn't receive the Holy Ghost quite at that moment, but he began to wash my feet, and then he began to move and wash the other's feet in the youth group, and God fell down in that place. 
powerfully. There was a hundred and some kids in that barn. And we stayed for hours and prayed. We were in little groups. And I remember, and I, if I'm mistaken, it was well up into the night, one or two o'clock in the morning, we were in there praying. And I received the baptism of the Holy Ghost with the initial evidence of speaking in tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance. And I'll never forget it. It was awesome. And other people there received the gift of the Holy Ghost that night. So it was awesome. And then John chapter 7, verse 37 through 39, Jesus, still speaking, said, In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the Scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. As the Scripture saith. And then John 14, 16, and 17 says, And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide in you forever. Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But you know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. He was talking about a future event. Shall be in you. And then, of course, our main text, Acts 1 and 8. But you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Shall be witnessed in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and under the uttermost parts of the earth. But not only is the Holy Ghost outpouring promised, I want us to look in the scripture and see that, I want you to see the emphasis that the, Holy, the early church put on the Holy Ghost. The first example is found in Acts chapter 6. This is such an interesting story to me. Here's what the Bible says in Acts chapter 6. We're looking at verses 2 through 5. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the word. And the same pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost. I'm sorry, I'm going to get me a mint. Y'all forgive me. Keep my, keep my throat going here. This story is so interesting because we know in Peter's first message, 3,000 people were added, right? The Bible says that daily people were coming into the kingdom. So the church is growing. Well, as the church grows, the need grows, right? And so there's many people there that were hungry and they, they were trying to feed them. So you had these, these men of God, these disciples, and they were trying to pray and they were trying to study the word. But then it got to be such a burden to feed people, they had to do something about it. So as the church grew, they had to point other people to do work of the ministry. But this is a part that's interesting to me, and this is the thing that it, it's almost mind-blowing to me because today we primarily look for availability. If you're available, man, we'd love to have you. There's not a whole lot of prerequisites sometimes. Now, certain jobs there certainly is, but we're just oftentimes looking for availability. But the early church, it was not that way at all. Now, they were administering a food program. Something we do right here in Pulaski. We've done it right out of this church for years and years and years. Joe does it right down here at the Dream Center. Hand out boxes of food. The same thing. No different. They were going to be doing the same thing. But look in verse 3 and, and let's read it. The Bible says, Wherefore, brethren, look out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. That's amazing. To hand out a box of groceries, a loaf of bread or something. Why is that? Well, it's not Sunday school. I, know. <laughs> I ask questions. Sunday's going to wait for an answer. This is a little different here, isn't it? <laughs> Why is that? Because 
Ministry is not just to minister to physical needs of people. Matter of fact, I'll tell you that that's nothing more than a way to get someone spiritually. That's what a physical, meeting a physical need is nothing but an inroad for us to get to their heart and tell them the story of Jesus Christ. The early church understood that. They knew that. They knew the importance of that. That's why they said, let us find seven men full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom and that are honest. See, they understood that, that thing. You know, let's look at a couple things the way it explains uh, something about one of these men. I was going to give you an example. You know, it's funny. I hope you're this way. I, I, when I pray in the morning, I pray with my kids and pray over their life and their day, and I pray for them to have opportunities to spread the good news of Christ, tell others be light and hope in the world that people see Christ in them. I pray the same for me and my wife. And, uh, you know, the Bible tells us the steps of the righteous are order of the Lord. There's sometimes when you know God orders you to go somewhere or see someone or say something or do something. But then there's sometimes in your life when, um, if you're like I am, you're, you're just, you're living. Especially when you got two kids and, and they're involved in everything. Uh, it doesn't even feel like life. It just feels like uh, you're caught up in this whirlwind of running around. But anyway, but you pray those prayers and you know, according to the Bible, that he still orders your steps. And so about a month ago, uh, Sonia usually takes Aaron one way, I'll take Noah one way, and uh, cheerleading is not something I know anything about, which is a comfort or should be a comfort to all of us. Uh, but anyway, so Sonia takes her to cheerleading a lot of times. Hey, well, I ain't going to say that. I was going to say a lot of Burchett's is dressed up in women's outfits, but that doesn't mean we like it. Um, <laughs> anyway. That's another story for another time and concerning, actually. But anyway, so this particular night, Sonia had to stay after school for a meeting. And, and uh, so I, I took Aaron and, and Noah, uh, went with me down to Randolph Park. And, um, and she goes, and there's, there's all kinds of games going on in the fields, and we're back behind one of, the, one of the fields back there, and her group's cheering over here, and then there's an older group cheering here, and there's people everywhere. And then Noah took his football, and, and Noah wanted to throw football, and we began to throw football, and there was a, a young man there, and he was just staring at us. I mean, it was obvious he wanted to throw the football. So, you know, matter of fact, before we could even invite him, he invited himself. He said, can I throw the football with you? I said, sure. So he starts throwing football with us. And uh, he, he, he does that for like 30 minutes, and Sonny was going to come by there and pick Noah up and take, take him on. So she gets there. She picks Noah up, and he takes his ball, and, 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 and he leaves. And so I sit down on, just sit down on the curb with this guy on one of those uh, uh, railroad ties. We just sat down on one of those things. And I either mentioned something about Christ, the Scripture. I really don't remember what I said. But however it was, he, he knew I was a Christian. And he said, um, he said, would you pray for me? And I probably surprised him. I said, well, I said, I will, but not right now. I said, I want to talk to you first. And uh, I, I said, you know, what's your name? Where are you from? What's your story? What's going on in your life? I said, just tell me about yourself. I had no idea. He was getting ready to, 30 minutes, he told me about himself. So for the next 30 minutes, this 22-year-old young man named Carl tells me a story. And he's had a rough story. He's had a lot of hardships, a lot of tough things in his life. 
And the whole time he's talking, I'm, I'm asking God, you know, God, give me wisdom. Let me know what to say to him. Let, let me know how to handle these things. And I, about halfway through the story, I felt led to tell him about the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis because I felt like even though he'd had difficulties, I also felt like that he had kind of used it as a crutch and an excuse to, to you know, his past was determining everything in his future. And that's not what God wants for us. Even though if we have difficult past, it doesn't have to determine what our future is. And that's the thing I love about Joseph. He had difficulties. He was 30 years before he got to the palace. He, he, he was enslaved. He was, in, he was in prison. But in every one of those instances, you'll find over all of those chapters of the book of Genesis, he never complains. There's not one place where he complains about his situation. There's not one place where God wasn't still blessing him. He was over all the other slaves at Potiphar's house. He was over all the other prisoners when he was in prison. God had his hand upon his life. And so he got done telling me a story, and I said, Now, can I tell you a story out of the Bible? And I told him why I wanted to tell. Or actually, I didn't. I, I told him the story. And he actually said, he goes, So what you're telling me is, is, is uh, I don't have to be the way I am. I can be better. I said, Yeah. I said, that's what I'm telling you. I said, I hate you've had a tough past. I hate some of the things you went through. I said, it's heartbreaking. But I'm telling you that with Jesus Christ, your future can be better than what your past says it is. And then I said, do you know Jesus Christ? And he kind of gave me a, a thing, and I said, well, Carl, I said, it's a yes or no answer. I said, it's either you do or you don't. He said, well, I don't guess I do. And I said, man, I said, I'd like for you to know him. <laughs> I'd like for you to know him. And I quoted him a few scriptures. I remember quoting him Romans 10 and 9. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, believe God, raise him from the dead, you shall be saved. I don't remember the other scriptures I quoted him. But after that, I said, okay, Carl. I said, I want you to receive Christ. I said, but I've said what I need to say to you. And I said, I pray for you now. And then he surprised me. He said, uh, he said well, can I pray? You know, 40 minutes ago, he wanted me to pray. Now he wants to pray. I said, well, sure you can. And we stood up there, and there's, there's cheering going on. There's people everywhere. And he said the most beautiful prayer. It was beautiful. He asked Christ to come into his heart, forgive him of his past, change his life. He said a beautiful prayer. And then afterwards, you know, I prayed. And uh, I'm just, I can't help it. I started praying quietly and reverently, and next thing you know, I get louder when I get excited, and I can't help it. <laughs> so I was, I'm sure several people heard us pray, and there's a lot of people looking. I know when I opened my eyes up. But that's okay. I don't care about that. Right in the middle of ball games and soccer games and cheerleading practice and people just doing their daily routine, a young man, 22-year-old, accepted Jesus Christ right in the middle of Randolph Park. That's what it's about. It's not about all this other stuff. That's what it's about. It's about God leading us through the Spirit and opening our eyes and giving us opportunities to be a witness for Him in this world. And so, let's, let's look at the way the Bible describes Stephen, this, this lay minister. You know, if, if you look at this man prior to Acts chapter 6, you don't even know he exists. There's nothing mentioned about him. He's just part of the, the group. He's part of the group. And I think, how many people are sitting here in this church that is just part of the group that God wants to elevate us by filling us with the Spirit of God, or if He's already filled you, He wants to put you in a position like He has Stephen to minister to somebody in this world to make a difference in their life. This is an awesome story because this man who has no prior history in the Word of God, obviously they knew who he, who he was because he was appointed. He had obviously proved himself to the disciples. But as soon as he begins this 
this food ministering program, I, I want you to see what the Bible says that happened. It doesn't say anything at all about how much food they gave out. Well, we're getting out, you know, 1.2 million pounds a week or a month or a year. It didn't say anything about how much food, how many meals they were feeding, what they were giving them out. That's, I'm not diminishing that. That's important. That's something we should be doing as a church. We should be doing those things. It's important. But I want us to understand that that's not, that's not the main thing. It's not the main thing of the church. It's a part of the church. And it's a part of the church to let people know that we love them enough that we want to minister to a physical need. But we also realize that they have spiritual needs. And so you look, I want us to look at verse 8. These are, this is the way it describes this lay minister, this person that was basically, if we want to look at it today, he was sitting on a pew at one time and God had elevated him in this. The Bible says, And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. You know, oftentimes we can get ourselves to where we just, we think that God only operates and He certainly anoints pastors and youth pastors and those that's devoted themselves to the call and ministry of Jesus Christ. But that's not the only people that He ministers through. That's absolutely not the only people He ministered to. This was a, if you want to call Him a lay minister, if you want to call Him a church member, a, a disciple of Christ, the Bible doesn't label Him as anything except these are the things that He did. He did... He was full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. And then if you skip down to verse 10, the Bible says, and they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. And if you'd skip forward to verse 15, the Bible says that his face shone like an angel. Ain't that awesome? You ever had anybody just, to, one of the greatest compliments, I think, nobody's ever told me, I, actually a little girl did, I started to tell you, she did, but she probably couldn't see well. But uh, I, started, <laughs> I started to ask you something different. Have you ever had somebody to come up to you and just, and just, just say, you know, are you a Christian? I'm sure it's happened to many of you. Isn't that, isn't that a wonderful thing? Why is that? Because there's something radiating off you that says Christ. Christian, Christ-like. There's something that shows the love of Christ in you. It's a wonderful thing. You ever had somebody just come up and say, would you pray for me? Somebody you never met in your life? Absolutely, I'll pray for you. What a wonderful testimony that is. What a wonderful thing that can happen in our life. And then... Let's look at the second example of the, the importance the early church puts. If you flip your Bible over to Acts chapter 8, we have the story of Philip going down to witness to the Samaritans. I want to read uh, 5 through 8, then I'm going to skip to verse 12, and then verse 14 through 17. The Bible says, Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits crying with loud voice came out of many that were possessed with them. And many taken with palsies and that were lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. Now skip down to verse 12. Because I want us to see two really important points as we talk about specifically the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Verse 12 says, But when they believed Philip, uh, Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized both men and women. What's that mean? They were saved. They believed on Jesus. They were saved, right? Okay. Well, if you don't believe me, I'll prove it to you. Okay. Because two of you believe me. Thank you, Jeremy, for believing me. <laughs> now, let's skip to verse 14. Now, when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John. Verse 15, who, when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive 
the Holy Ghost. For as yet he was fallen on none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Ghost. I know I mentioned earlier that there was a time when we didn't, almost didn't need to explain this. I've never done a sermon like this in my life. But I actually feel that for someone it's necessary to explain that there are, there are two works of God that happens in our life when it's specific to the baptism of the Holy Ghost. There's, there's doctrine in our day that would tell you that you receive the Holy Ghost at time of conversion. You're certainly drawn to Christ by the Spirit of God. We see our need for Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. But the baptism of the Holy Ghost is a separate work of God. We see it in Acts chapter 2. Were the 120 not disciples of Jesus Christ? Yes, they were disciples of Jesus Christ. They didn't go to the upper room to get saved. They'd already surrendered all to follow Jesus. They were already disciples. They were already serving Him. They went up to the upper room, and then they were baptized in the Holy Ghost. And then some people will say, well, it was only for that group. No. No, let's flip over to where we are right here. If it was only for that group, how did the Samaritans receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost? If you want to, it's not in the message, but we can go over to Acts chapter 10, where Simon Peter is standing up on the, or sitting up on the rooftop, and all of a sudden a sheet comes down and has all these meats, and he, he, God's getting ready to prepare him to go somewhere where he didn't even think they were worthy of the gospel, nor worthy of the Holy Spirit to fall upon them. And, he, and, and all of a sudden, uh, an angel says, take and eat. And he says, I'll not put anything unclean to my lips. And he says, what I have cleansed, don't you call it unclean. Because he's getting ready to send him to the, to the Gentiles. And I love how, and all of a sudden, he opens his eyes up and three men are standing there. And they said, go with me. And he goes with them over to Cornelius' house. If you start at the beginning of Acts chapter 10, I love that God's working on both sides. He's working with his disciple, and then he's over here working on a Gentile because the Bible says that, that God speaks to Cornelius, Cornelius, and he says, your alms and your prayers has come up as a memorial before me. I love that for a couple of reasons. First of all, it means that he's heard every time you've had a prayer. Every time we've prayed, God has heard our prayer. Every time we've given, God has saw the need. It's almost like God saying right here, I, I put all these things in this one pot for you. I'm saving it till this time. I'm getting ready to do a work in your family, in your home. And so... He's preparing both sides. And then the Bible says that Peter goes in and he, he gathers the whole house. He's got a full house of people. And he begins to preach to them. And I love what Acts 10 and 44 says because I, I love it so much because it shows us the power of the Word of God. We don't have, an, have to have an altar call or an altar service, and though I believe that's an important part of every service, but we don't always have to have an altar call for the power of God to fall down in the middle of the service. Why? How do I know that? Because the Bible tells me so. In Acts 10 and 44, the Bible says, And as Peter yet spake the Word, the Holy Ghost fell on them that heard the Word. You know, if we could ever just get to a place where we really hear the Word, not, not with this right here, but with our heart, if we would hear the Word of God and digest the Word of God, and then, then we would lean unto Him and not our own understanding, then we, we could have a revival service right in the middle of preaching. We can have God fall down right in the middle of the Word of God. That's what happened in Acts chapter 10, verse 44. And so back to Acts chapter 8, we see that this separate work of God is done. And we see the importance that they placed on it because, you know, you think about it today. If, if, you know, if God had me to, I wish I'd be mature enough. Maybe I would understanding the scripture here. But, you know, if we'd go out and, 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 and go somewhere to a town close by and we'd, we'd ha have revival service. And God would move in such a way that, that the whole city surrendered their life to Christ. The whole city. That's what happened here. The city surrenders their life to Jesus Christ. And then on top of that, many healings were done. Many people were healed. Their life was changed. They were healed of different diseases and difficulties. Well, man, we think it's the greatest move of God it's ever been. We'd be tickled to death, right? 
We'd be excited to death. We'd say we've never seen anything like it in our life. And, and when it's over with, man, we'd, we'd write the statistics down so we could keep up with it, send them in, whatever the case may be. We'd keep up with it, which is fine. But, man, we'd roll out of there. We'd high-five each other, give each other a fist bump, thank God for what he's done, you know, praise him for, for him moving in such a way. And we'd be tickled to death. And then we'd spend the rest of our life telling everybody what God done in such and such town. The early church didn't do that. They didn't do that. The Bible says, Now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John. They didn't just up and roll out. Let's pack up all the guitars and music stuff. Man, God's moved in a powerful way. They weren't just satisfied with them giving their life to Christ. They wanted them to have the other work that he had promised. The thing that Jesus had promised them. If I go, I'm going to send the comforter. He's not yet come because I've not yet been glorified. He knew that there was more. They knew the importance of it. Why? So that we can be made witnesses in Acts 1 and 8. And so they tell him there that it's so important. So they send Peter and John. They pray for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. And they do receive. So that's the second example the early church puts on the importance of it. And then let us look over in Acts chapter 19. This is the third example that I'm going to talk about. The Bible, I'll read this, verses 1 through 6. You probably know this scripture well. The Bible says, And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus, and finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And, and they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, What were you baptized? And they said, Unto John's baptism. So, I don't know why some things just... I laugh in Scripture. I mean, we never heard of such a Holy Ghost, you know. They never heard of what he was talking about. It just makes me laugh for some reason. But he, he, So he asked them the question, well, then what were you baptized? Under John's baptism. Then Paul explains it to them, what I'm trying to do tonight. Paul explains it to them. Then said Paul, John, verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that you should believe on, on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So he's clarifying them, you're saved. You're one of Jesus Christ's children now. You're saved. You're, you're an heir of God and a joint heir with Christ. He, he saved you through John's preaching. But then he says this in verse 6. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. Again, we have biblical proof of a second work of God. So not only was the Holy Ghost promised, and, and, and not only was it important to the early church, but it also had purpose. Acts uh, chapter 1, verse 8, as I mentioned, after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, you shall be witnesses. The prime reason the Holy Ghost was sent was to give power and ability for us to witness. I love the feeling of God's presence, God's glory. I love the Holy Ghost, but it's not about how it feels. It's not about how loud we shout, how high we jump, how fast we run, how, how quick we sing the song, how slow we sing the song. It's not about any of that stuff. Those are byproducts of the glory of God. Those are just things that, that happen because the glory of the Lord is in the house of God. But He has given of His Spirit so that we are made witnesses. Acts 4 and 20. Todd quoted this a couple weeks ago in his message. It's so interesting because he's, Peter says, For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. That's funny to me because the Peter I read about prior to Acts chapter 2 was all over the place with his walk. 
If you say something he don't like or try to take his leader, he might whack your ear off with a sword. He might have a great moment where, where he sees Jesus walking on the water. One of them says, what's the Lord? He says, Lord, if it's you, bid me come. The Lord says, come. He just hops out of the boat. Man, he's walking on water. I'm not aware of anybody that's ever done that except for Jesus and Peter. What a great thing he did. He's walking on water. Why? Because he wanted to be where Jesus was. He wanted to be where Jesus was. So he's walking on the water. But then you get to the end of, of before Jesus lays down his life for all of us. He's following him on from a distance outside the courtyard. One of them says, hey, that's one of his guys. He says, no, I'm not one of them. He says it second time. Then he cusses and says it a third time. I'm not one. Cock crows three times. He looks upon Jesus, glances his way. He goes out and weeps bitterly. He denies him three times. So Acts 4 and 20 seems odd to me. You know, we do the same thing today. A lot of times we, because of past issues or difficulties in our life, we, we put people in a box and say, well, you know, I knew how they were, or I knew the mistakes that they made, or I knew things they had done. God certainly couldn't move upon them or do this in their life. If I would have known Peter, I probably would have had the same thought. You mean Peter could stand up on the same people that killed Jesus and say, we cannot but speak the things which we've seen and heard? What made the difference for him? It wasn't, you know, 10, 10, 10 reasons to help or, or, or a help book or a psychologist. It wasn't some great revelation. It was four verses of Scripture in Acts chapter 2. He was made a different man when he was baptized in the Holy Ghost. He leaves there and he goes out to the same people that had killed Jesus. If you'll follow chapters 3 and 4, Caiaphas was the high priest. When he is threatened in Acts chapter 3 that you're not to preach in his name any longer, the Bible specifically mentions one man, Caiaphas, who was the high priest. That's the man that carried out uh, the killing of Jesus. But yet, just a couple chapters later, Peter says, I can't help but to speak the things I've seen and heard. I can't help myself but to tell you about Jesus. You know, that's the way we ought to be. When we're filled with the Holy Ghost, we will not be able to help but to tell people about Jesus Christ. We'll find ourselves in all different kinds of avenues with all different kinds of people in life. In the workplace, you know... Uh, and, and I don't know, I mean, I, I hope it's the Holy Ghost or if, or if I'm just getting where I don't care. I, I think it's the Holy Ghost. But, but, you know, I've had many places where I get to pray in workplaces and different things. You know, pray in the middle of Avo. Man, you get some weird looks when you got 3,000 people walking by and you're praying and you're somebody that, that, uh, that don't pray real, real low. And, uh, uh, but anyway, but that's, the, that's what God would have us do. I heard, I've never even mentioned this to you, but I heard about Sister B. Ogle years ago. I don't know how many years this, this is. Never mentioned this to you. Speaking in tongues in the teller line at a bank. You remember that, Sister B? I don't even remember who told me that. Why was that? Because God moved on you. You were not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're not to be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when he moves on us, we're to act upon it. And so, before the Holy Ghost filled Peter, he was a denier of Christ. But now he cannot help but to speak. That's why I think it's so important to be baptized in the Holy Ghost. That's why I want my children to be baptized in the Holy Ghost. The, the, future, the future looks difficult for a Christian. 
I'd go so far as to say it will be difficult for a Christian. But I want my children... You know, if you continue to follow Peter's life, it's not in the Bible, but tradition will tell you if you study him that this same guy that was so up and down and he's baptized in the Holy Ghost and he does all these great things that's recorded in the Bible, he comes to the place where he's martyred for Christ. He does give his life for Christ. And tradition will tell you if you study it that when they got ready to put him on a cross... You know what he told them? He said, hang me upside down because I'm not even worthy to die the same way my Savior did. Good Lord, something happened in him that changed him. It was the power of the Holy Ghost that changed him. It's the same thing that this church was wrought out of. It's the same thing that the church of God was wrought out of in in the late 1800s. It was the power of the Holy Ghost. It's the same thing that's needed in our midst today. It's a fresh outpouring of the Holy Ghost upon God's people today. And then John 16, 13, and 14. The Bible says, Howbeit when the, tr- the Spirit of truth is come, He will guide you into all truth, for He shall not speak of Himself. But whatsoever He shall hear, that shall He speak, and will show you things to come. He shall glorify Me, Jesus is saying, for He shall receive of Mine and shall show it unto you. The best way I know to recognize a baptized believer is, is do they tell people about Christ? Do they tell people about Christ? And I think we're to take the advice of Paul in 1 Corinthians 2, 4, and 5. I like this scripture. He's talking about preaching, but he goes along with preaching, goes along with witnessing. He says, My speech and my preaching was not enticing with words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. I think, I thought about in our, in our churches, when people come into our churches... It's, it, we want to prepare ourselves the best we can. We want to sing as, as well as we can. We want to preach as well as we can. We want, to, we want to teach to the best of our ability because we're doing so for the glory of God. We want to do all those things to the best of our ability. But we can't do any of those things in our own wisdom. They need to be done in the power and glory of God. They need to be done in the Spirit of God. Because when people come into this place today, they're hurting. They're in need of something. What they need to do is they need to come into a place where they can encounter the glory of God. We need to encounter the glory of God. We need to be ready to make an account for the hope that's in us, the Bible tells us. That's what the world's looking for, whether they know it or whether they don't. Some people come into church, most of them that comes into the house of God, they know they're in need of something. But then there's a world of people out here that doesn't know. Whether they even know it or not, they need to encounter God. And those things must be done by His power, by the demonstration of the Spirit and power of God. So we need to be anointed to tell the story of Jesus. And in conclusion, I think you know and I know, we know that we need the baptism of the Holy Ghost. If we are believers here tonight, we fall into two categories of people. Those who have received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, those who have not. I think Scripture is very clear. It lets us know if we've not received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, doesn't mean you're not saved, but it's a separate work of God. I think the Scripture has been very clear. And if you're here tonight and you've never received, I'm going to give you an invitation momentarily to come and receive the gift that God wants you to have. It's important. It's important. He wants you to have the gift of the Holy Ghost. I also want to address the rest of us who have received. I want you to know that there are times that we can get stale in our anointing. 
due to life, circumstances, difficulties, trials, whatever. We find ourselves no longer operating with the vitality of the Spirit of God. I want us to look at a scripture in chapter 4 of Acts, verses 22 through 31. Very interesting scripture because you have a time to where Peter and John have been preaching and then they've been brought before the Sanhedrin and it's in that same place to where I quoted earlier where he says we cannot but speak the things which we've seen and heard but they've, been, they've told them that they're not to speak about Jesus any longer. They're not to, to tell the story about Jesus, not to say anything about the resurrection of Christ. And so then they leave there and I think in a certain degree many of us have been muted in our testimony of Christ. Whether that's that we need a fresh experience, whether it's that we have succumbed to pressures within, without, wherever, whatever the reason being, I think that if we were to be honest with one another, sometimes our testimony has been muted. That's really the problem with America. The Christian church became mute. When God speaks to Israel in 2 Chronicles 7 and 14, the first way He starts out, He doesn't say, go to the heathen and prophesy to the heathen. He doesn't say, go and tell the, the wicked people all they're doing wrong. Sinners sin. I don't have any other expectation. For sinners, they sin. That's what they're supposed to do till they come to Christ. But He says this, if my people will begin to pray, He calls them to repent Matter of fact, the New Testament writings are Paul. They're not written to unbelievers. They're written to churches. They're written to believers. I don't know how we get to a place where we think, man, we're just perfect. Man, I know I'm not. I've made a lot of mistakes. Lots of them. So I want you to see that they, I want you to see what they do when they're told not to speak the name of Christ, when they're pushed down in their testimony, their testimony is trying to be squashed from them, they, they do something that we ought to draw from and, and, and understand. They, they don't go out and talk to the world about it. They don't gather up the police and say, man, we were mistreated. They don't, of course, you know, uh, they don't, <laughs> they didn't have social media, obviously, but they, they don't go out and just do those things. But what do they, what, let's read what the Bible says. And being let go, they went to their own company. It was simply meant today we would, have, we would have gathered together in our church group and we would have had a prayer meeting together in church and reported all the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God which has made heaven and earth the sea and all that's in them who by the mouth of the servant David has said, Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up. Rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His Christ. For of a truth against the holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together. For to do whatever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. Then listen at this. This is beautiful. And he says, And now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word by stretching forth thine hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of the holy child Jesus. And then listen what happened. And they conclude with this. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken 
where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. Not some of them, not just a few, not the ones that really pressed in, not the ones that came to the altar. They were all filled, it tells me here. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the word of God with boldness. So they were being pressured not to preach His name. And many of us do those certain circumstances today. We have compromised our position and our glory. We have lost the victory that we once had. It, it breaks my heart to see a Christian that doesn't have the victory. And I want God to breathe on His church again. And I want to urge you as Paul urged Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses... Uh, where Tony goes? he close by? Okay, he was over here a while ago. I'm not, I should have signaled him about 10 minutes ago, but I'm not, I'm not used to that, so I forgot. But I want us to hear what 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. If y'all were singing earlier, thank you, y'all are already doing it, appreciate it. He says this, Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear. I just feel like he'd say that to, to this church. He's not giving us a spirit of fear. We're not to be fearful. Our brother in the Lord quoted it this morning, If God be for us, who can be against us? No one. Romans chapter 8 says, Who shall be able to separate us from the love of God? He goes through a, a list of things. But the, the point is this, Nothing shall be able to separate us, separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. So God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And it's time the church kindle a fire again. It's time for the church to be set ablaze. Why? So that our community can see the difference in us. So that our community can see Christ Jesus and those that, that comes out of this place. So, the altar call, if you would, stand up. They'll be up here to sing here in a minute. I'm going to ask you in a minute. If you've never received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, and through the Word of God tonight, you recognize that you need it. And I'm going to tell you that you need it. Not because I said so, because the Word of God says so. If you've never received with the initial evidence of speaking in other tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance, nobody can tell you how to receive. It's a God-given gift that falls down upon you as the Spirit gives the utterance. And I want to tell you that you need to receive tonight. And then the second group of folks, if you're here tonight and you know, you just be honest and you say, you know, I, I just need a fresh outpouring in my life. I don't care about the reason. It doesn't matter the reason. It matters to you and it matters to God, but, but for the point of this, it doesn't matter the reason. Sometimes it's just life and difficulty, busyness, whatever. We, we just get to a place to where God's not operating in our life like He would. The fullness of God's Spirit's not working in our life. Matter of fact, if we've went such a long time and, and, and the Spirit of God's not moved upon us, man, there's a problem because God wants to move upon His people. God wants to speak to His people. He wants to speak through His people. And if you find yourself here and you just, just, you just be honest with God, you know, I, I'm usually sitting there so I know how it feels. I know what it's like. And, and there's a lot of times when, when there's a resistance we don't want anybody to know and we don't want anybody to think something and who cares we love each other man we're, we're family we're the family of God we love one another and I don't want to see anybody 
strength that's been languishing and broken and hurting and God not moving in your life and God not speaking in your life. The Bible says in Psalm 34 and 18, I'm near to the broken heart and I save such that has a crushed spirit. And God wants to move upon your life. And if you find yourself in that place where you say he's just, it's just not the same, you know it. How do I know that? Because I've been there and I know how it feels myself. Matter of fact, I've been there lots of times. Where I just needed God to touch me again. The early church knew what it felt like in Acts chapter 4. They needed Him to touch them again. Why? Because they didn't want to be intimidated. They needed to speak the Word of God with boldness. God was faithful. The Spirit of God fell down. It shook the whole house and it filled all of the people. And they were able to speak the Word of God with boldness. And then the last thing here tonight. I don't ever want to preach anywhere that I don't give somebody an opportunity. I know on Sunday nights, by and large, it's people that know Christ and you love Him with all your heart. But I don't want to just take for granted ever that I'd be in a place somebody don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I was talking to somebody just yesterday, as a matter of fact, that's going through some ministry stuff. Just met this young man. He's a lot younger than I am. We were talking about stuff, and I was telling him, I said, you know, it's, it's a burden of mine that I've decided I'm never going to preach somewhere and not give somebody an opportunity to receive Jesus Christ. Ever. I don't care where it is. I don't care how many people's there. Doesn't matter to me. And I told him, I said, here's the thing. When I first started preaching about eight years ago, I was so concerned with the altar portion of it. It was almost a bondage to me. And it was like Jesus, just, I've never heard his audible voice. He speaks to me primarily through his holy book. Speaks to me through prayer. I've never heard his voice. I've never heard the Father's voice. Primarily, he's spoken to me through his precious holy word. And I, I was praying one day, and it was like Jesus said, you give him the opportunity. They're not rejecting you because you have no authority or ability to save anyone. But if they don't accept me, they're rejecting me. And I don't want to see anybody reject, reject Jesus Christ. So if you're here tonight, I don't have to make a big deal out of it. But you come and see me in the altar. You tell me you need to know Christ. We'll open up the Word of God. And I'll show you the Scripture that tells you how to be saved. And I know this message, we, I probably could have just off the top of my head just with many of you you understand this completely but I've just got to a place in my life where I want everything to be proved through the scripture you know young people through this young adult class they're not like some of us was our, our parents our grandparents and even my age of people which I guess I'm officially middle aged <laughs> you know we were told things we just believed it we just had simple faith and we believed it young people aren't like that anymore are they they want you to prove it to them. There's lots of reasons for that. We won't go into it. But they want it to be proved. I want to have the ability. I, I need God to help me to have the ability to show them what the Word of God says. Because I'm convinced if we can show our young people and we can show new converts and we can show people whatever age if they don't have a knowledge of the Word of God, if we can show them what's offered to them in the Word of God, then they'll want it. They'll desire it. They'll want to have it. They'll know they can have it. And they'll receive 
And I want us to receive the Holy Ghost. If you're here tonight and you've not received the Holy Ghost, I want you to receive Him tonight. Bow your heads for me for just a moment.